I don't know, it's been such a weird kind of time here, Jordan, like the last week where we are seeing headlines that involve Kwame Brown battling against Steven Jackson and Matt Barnes and even Gilbert Arenas involved. Uh, we're seeing Tim Tebow playing football. Like, is this 10 years ago? Like, were we in some kind of time warp? This is just kind of blowing my mind a little bit, what's going on here this week. It, it feels like it. It feels like we're in a little vortex. <laughs> and maybe it's just the, the world trying to spin itself back into normal axis as we uh, get back to some pre-COVID um, lifestyles, if you will. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like uh, the Flash is running faster than the speed of light, and thus he is adversely impacting the actual linear course of time. Sorry, I watched the new Snyder Cut yet again here recently. So uh, let's you've, had let, you've had some free time, huh? Let's, let's stop exposing the geeky side so much uh, and get into our pregame topic. Uh, we mentioned Kwame Brown. Have you been paying attention to this thing at all? So former number one pick, right, by the Wizards when Michael Jordan was running the show over there. People are calling him a bust, but he did play 12 years in the league. He had to battle through some injury. Uh, did have some, I think, contributing seasons for sure. But for a number one pick, he didn't quite have the career that, that most people would uh, expect from a guy drafted in that position. But this week, in fact, over the last few weeks, and actually when you look at it closer, this is something that's sort of been building over the last year, but he has been taking to social media and he's become kind of an event on social media because he is firing back at all of the haters. He is tired of being the butt of all the jokes and being called a bust. And so on a recent podcast, All the Smoke with Steven Jackson and Matt Barnes, they kind of made a joke about him. Gilbert Arenas, I think, was the guest on that episode. And they were kind of laughing about that trade that involved Kwame Brown and Paul Gasol. And they basically said that, you know, it was just a one-player trade. Kwame Brown uh, shouldn't, be, shouldn't count as an actual player involved with that transaction. And Kwame just lit him up. It wasn't about basketball. He didn't try to go tit for tat on an even level. Like, he got personal. He's teasing Matt Barnes, calling him out about, you know, Derek Fisher taking his family. He's getting at Steven Jackson about his behavior in the strip clubs. Uh, he, was, he was bringing it. Uh, even Gilbert Arenas took to Twitter afterwards and was like, I don't want that smoke. Like, he was telling stories about Kwame Brown in situations at clubs where it's like it took 12 bouncers to get him out of there. And, and by all accounts, Kwame Brown is not a dude to be trifled with. But right now, he is letting all of that angst that built up over 20 years, he is letting all of that out, and he is taking a grenade to the haters. What do you think? I love it. I love it because you're right. It's not like he was a terrible pro. He played for a dozen years. He was a very respectable professional basketball player, right? His only problem was that he got picked number one overall, which is how is that his fault, right? <laughs> if he was picked late first round, early second round, he goes, he grinds, he makes his way through 12 years, right? He never gets the heat that he does now or over the course of his career, but he just happened to be the number one overall pick, which again, how is that his fault? Nobody, you know, if, if, you, if I got picked number one overall, I'd never make it in the NBA. But would I turn that down? Absolutely <laughs> no, not. No. Absolutely not. And so Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson have kind of carved a little niche out, right, as, as uh, now in their post-playing day careers as sort of being the dudes who speak the truth. They're a little too raw for, like, normal mainstream media. And, they, they, right, all the smoke podcasts, they're literally smoking while they record the podcast. <laughs> and they, they kind of get framed as, like, the real dudes and the tough dudes and all of that. And I think maybe a little bit more for Jax, like, 
when during his playing days, he was that guy you didn't mess with. Like you'd catch a right hook if you did. Matt Barnes was never really that guy. Always seemed maybe a little bit of a little more show when it comes to it. And and Kwame Brown is like, these guys, these guys want to run their mouths. And I'm gonna let you guys know what's real. And so I'm all for it. Like, hey, let's 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 pull back the curtain a little bit. That's what's made this so fascinating, though, right? Because you're, you're talking about Steven Jackson, and he was, you know, one of the guys involved in the infamous Malice at the Palace. And this is mm-hmm. a guy who was, had the reputation, the absolute street cred of being a, a roughneck dude in the league, a guy that, that was willing to throw down at any given time, at the drop of a hat. If one of his guys uh, was being threatened, Steven Jackson was the guy to step in there. And then you had Matt Barnes, who, yeah, you know, maybe some of that came across as a little bit more manufactured, but certainly he wasn't a guy that shied away from some of that mischief as well. And here is Kwame Brown, who, let's be honest, is also using some questionable language in his portrayal of these guys. He's calling them effeminate males and, you know, doing things that uh, are a little bit on the misogynistic side in terms of, of what he's referencing, I think. But the greater point holds up. Like, he's saying, hey, look, I was homeless. Like, I have a dad that went to prison. I have a brother who went to prison for murder. We had no place to live. I literally had no shoes on my feet. And I became a number one overall pick. And now I'm set for life and generations to follow set for life. And so, yeah, he's a success story. Uh, And I think that that's his greater point. We do look at uh, sports in a very myopic way sometimes, right? And it's like, well, if he didn't average 25 a game, he's a bust. If he was the number one pick and you have other number one guys who I think would definitely qualify as as sort of that bust category uh, more so if you want to go to Michael Oluwakandi or Anthony Bennett, you know, some of these guys, you know, again, I'm not trying to start anything with anybody either. Uh, but I think that's what's fascinating to me is Kwame Brown, who is calling out these guys who on their own have that level of street cred. And here's Kwame Brown, who's just throwing it at them and is kind of calling them out for that and challenging them on that exact level of street cred. And right now it looks like Kwame Brown is envisioned as the guy that has a little bit more of that credibility and that's what's kind of wild to me all right a big time welcome to the show this is podcast episode number 69 get those jokes out of your head there jordan uh but we do want to uh, welcome you once again to the let's talk sports with Kanoa Leahy and Jordan Helley podcast. And we're doing things a little bit differently. We had kind of a, uh, an emotionally turbulent episode last week. We were talking about the death of Colt Brennan. We had Charlie Wade on to talk about uh, the celebration that was the UH men's volleyball winning the national championship. Uh, and so it was, you know, it, we, we went through a lot of emotions in that episode. We're, we're kind of treating things a little bit lighter here this time. Uh, but we are going to have a guest. Uh, he is uh, our buddy. Micah Banton, who uh, this year is the head coach of the Kapolei Hurricanes baseball team, uh, which won the OIA West in what was kind of an abridged schedule put together by the OIA. But they're actually playing in, and several other teams are as well, including ILH champ St. Louis. Uh, They're playing in a kind of makeshift Oahu championship tournament. It's in lieu of having an actual state tournament. Uh, And so you have some of the best teams on Oahu uh, playing in a tournament that is being put on by American Legion. And so this is kind of interesting. This is, you know, like, uh, hey, look, if if it's not going to be sanctioned by the HHSAA or the respective leagues, um, here comes American Legion to to jump in and, and put together a tournament bracket for these kids to participate. And I think that that's pretty phenomenal. And we'll talk to Micah about that. We will also play a game that we haven't played since our radio days. Uh, we're going to play for real or for fake. That's right. 
for real or for fake? It's a throwback. We're talking about Kwame Brown, Tim Tebow. We're playing for real or for fake. Uh, Michael Banton, my classmate from high school. Um, it's, it's a throwback uh, episode here. TBT, right? Throwback Thursday. That's the day that we're uh, recording this thing. So looking forward to having Michael on. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we have a lot of fun with Micah B whenever we have him on. And uh, it's been a while, so it's nice to catch up with, uh, with Brother Micah Banton. That's right. We'll get to him in a bit. First, game time. And clutch LeBron versus overacting LeBron. <laughs> LeBron James hit a game-winning shot to beat the Warriors in that NBA playoff play-in game. It was phenomenal theater. It was a fantastic game. Came down to the wire. LeBron hits this 30-foot three to win it for the Lakers. Uh, get this. It's his 97th game-tying or go-ahead shot in the final minute of the game. That's second only to Kobe Bryant, who had 101 over the last 25 years. So, uh, hey, look, LeBron gets a lot of heat, right? And there are a lot of haters out there. Uh, and I saw a lot of that vitriol coming out on Twitter. I mean, heck, you have Skip Bayless, who's made a career off of just hating LeBron. And so he said that the shot was lucky. Even Stephen A. Smith called it a desperation heave. Uh, sort of looked like a set shot to me. He even had the little gooseneck. Uh, it looked like a legit shot to me. Uh, obviously, you know, a little good fortune there. Uh, but that came just minutes after he appeared to be writhing in pain following a hard foul and eye poke by Draymond Green. And that's sort of where the line of demarcation is when it comes to LeBron James, right? On one hand, he is this phenomenal talent. I have been a huge fan of LeBron James since he burst into the league. Uh, and yet, on the other side, there is some of that, the overacting, some of the passive-aggressive behavior uh, and, and verbiage on social media. There, there's, he does make it kind of hard to root for him sometimes. Although, hey, look, we understand what he was trying to do. He was trying to sell a flagrant foul on Draymond Green in a crucial spot of the game to get the extra free throw in possession. It, it was very Space Jam 2 worthy, I think. That's the level of acting we're getting in that upcoming film. Uh, then I think uh, LeBron it might be up for some Oscar season awards or at least some nominations for sure. Uh, but yeah, where, where do you sort of place LeBron James when it comes to that dichotomy of being this, this super talent that probably doesn't get, even though he's this massive star, doesn't quite get the, the level of, of love and appreciation and maybe credit that he deserves for a guy that has done what he's done in his career. But on the other side, you know, the fodder that is some of the behavior, some of the way he plays the game. And again, I, I am a LeBron James fan through and through, card-carrying member for sure. Uh, but where do you fall sort of in this dichotomy that is LeBron James? Yeah, it's, I'm a big LeBron guy too, right? Uh, I think that's well-documented. Um, it's so funny, you know, Twitter was ablaze last <laughs> night with the whole playing game thing, right? And, and especially that last you know, medit sequence or whatever it was with LeBron getting poked in the eye. Is it a flagrant foul? All this stuff. And it's sort of the best and worst of everything, right? LeBron is a guy who will complain a lot to the referees. My argument to the folks who get really irritated about LeBron complaining to the referees is you watch. And if, if you watch the calls that he's complaining about, he's right a lot of the time. Now, is it worthwhile to complain that much and get caught up and not get back on defense? And all this Probably not right? Because it's not changing any calls or anything like that. Um, but it's so funny because I think he is such a basketball mind and he's such a basketball savant. It's like he knows when the calls are wrong and when they're correct and, and the nuances of all those kinds of things. And so I just kind of laugh at a lot of those, but I get the irritation, right? I get the pushback 
and the dislike for that sort of behavior and, and the embellishment of calls and, and him going about it, right? Because he is such a big body guy and he contact against him looks a lot different than contact against somebody of slighter build. And you could say the same thing about a Shaquille O'Neal, whatever, but Shaq wasn't necessarily flailing all over the place. And so I, I get it. I, I totally understand where people are coming from where it's like, yeah, LeBron, I just can't, I, I can't deal with it. Like I, I can't get over the fact that he does those things. And so I, I understand, but it's hard to deny what he does on the court. Right. And, and when, the, the clutch shots, as you point out, or at least the, the crunch time shots and the crunch time makes, like you will have people who just, oh, it's lucky. Oh, he had to take the shot or all this kind of stuff. Like he makes the shots. They go in. And so I don't know what else you're looking for. At the end of the day, like there's numbers you can use, plus minus certain amount of score, less than how many time on the clock. Is it at the end of the game? Is it the last shot of the game? All these kinds of things. Like he, he makes them more often than most people have in the history of basketball. And it's like, how do you, I, I don't know what else, I don't know what else more people can ask for in that sense. Like, I, I don't know anybody over the last five years who has had their mind changed on LeBron. I don't know if anybody's converted one way or the other. I really yeah. don't. I think, I think it's maybe, you know, emblematic of like America greater. <laughs> <laughs> but on LeBron, I, I don't know if anybody's really changed their mind since like 2016. Yeah, it's almost become this ideological battle, right? Like either you're in LeBron's camp or you're on the other side and there's no in-between, right? Like that's just, he is polarizing. And how ironic is it that in a game that features Steph Curry, uh, it is a long three by LeBron James that wins it, almost beating Steph Curry at the very thing uh, that Steph Curry is so great at. So uh, it was a phenomenal one. And I think I'm here for these play-in tournaments. Now there has to be the caveat uh, the fact that it's not always going to be like this, right? The Warriors, uh, if they're healthy, aren't going to be playing in this playing tournament. The Lakers, if LeBron doesn't get hurt, they're probably not in this playing tournament. So uh, it was a game that got huge ratings. I think the average viewership was like five point something million. Uh, and that was just the average. So that doesn't take into account the top end uh, throughout the game. Uh, but it got good ratings. The NBA, you know, is happy about it. But it was a bit of a novel situation, the fact that we got this matchup. But are you, generally speaking, here for these play-in tournaments? Yeah, I am. Uh, that, that game last night was incredible, right? The, the other, what, three games that we have gotten so far have basically been blowouts. Like the, the Celtics-Wizards games, the Wizards just blew out. Uh, Indiana here tonight. Indiana blew out Charlotte. Uh, I guess the fourth game is the, the Spurs Grizzlies, which was a blowout, and the Spurs kind of made it a game at the end. But I don't know if it was ever totally in doubt. I don't want to talk um, about it. And and yeah, sorry to bring that up, but <laughs> it you're right. The the Steph Lebron thing isn't going to happen most years, right? But you can get some of these games because it, it didn't feel necessarily like Game Seven. The intensity of that Lakers. Warriors game because the loser obviously wasn't done for the season, but it had like NCAA tournament vibes, like the way the game kind of slowed down, how much defense factored into it, guys playing all out. I, I, I thoroughly enjoy it. I, I think we'll get a lot more of that as, as this thing evolves over the next several years. But yeah, overall, I kind of like it. I kind of like it. I got, I got to admit. All right, moving on, on-campus stadium, quote-unquote, coming into view. University of Hawaii released the first renderings of the makeshift on-campus facility set to house Rainbow Warrior football for what could be at least the next three seasons. And now the facility, when these changes are running about $8.5 million in expense, uh, when these uh, changes are made to retrofit 
stands and to retrofit that TC Ching practice field, it's going to accommodate about 9,000 people. Uh, they do have plans though to, for next season, for 2022, to maybe build that out to be able to fit closer to 15,000. Uh, if given the opportunity, uh, are you looking forward to trying to get to one of these on-campus football games? And what do you think that experience is going to be like? Oh, I'd love to go. I'd love to go. I think it's going to be great, quite honestly. It's going to be small. It's going to be very intimate. And you would imagine the, the student section or however they're going to figure out a way to maximize on-campus support. Right, getting those kids down. It's obviously a lot shorter walk there than it is to Halaba. And so you would imagine it's going to be kind of like the, the student vibe you get at some of those big volleyball and basketball games inside the Stan Sheriff Center, where you really have a decided home court advantage uh, and home field advantage, ideally, in this situation. Parking is going to be a nightmare. We know all of the negatives, but there it, it, it does have a a blank slate sort of field the dreams element to it, right? Because the possibilities right now are all very conceptual. We haven't really experienced the game day atmosphere just yet, but in our minds, the renderings look pretty cool, right? Bleachers on both sides, some end zone seating, uh, luxury boxes on the Makai side of the bleachers. Like, okay, that's kind of interesting, right? We've, we've thrown out the idea when we've kind of had our little round table discussions with, with the two of us and some of the, the rest of the Hawaii media guys talking about like the top level of the parking structures, got a nice view from up there <laughs> and maybe turns into a nice little, you know, 21 and over garden or something like that. Right. You can kind of see a nice little view from the concourse on the backside of Murakami stadium or something. So there are still a lot of possibilities to this thing. And I think for 2021 at the very least, it's more than doable, right? The, the home games are against what Portland state, New Mexico state and the Mountain West opponents, right? So there, there's no like marquee team coming in. And so for 22, who also knows what the seating capacity is going to be allowable and how many people you can put in there? Is it max? Is it 50%? And we don't know right yet how that's going to look, but I, I'm excited for it. And I think if they can get it to 15,000 and you can pack that place in 2022, then, then you got a little something, right? So it, it's more than a one year evaluation, I think, with this, because I think Vanderbilt comes down in 2022. 2023, you've got um, Stanford coming down, uh, Oregon in 2024. Those are the announced contracted games already that are on the books for future years. If you're bringing in those opponents, right, no disrespect to New Mexico State or Duquesne or some Albany, some of these other schools coming in slated over the next three, four years, Oregon, Stanford, that, that's different, right? If you're playing Oregon, conceivably a nationally ranked Oregon team in three, four years' time at a 15,000-seat Ching Athletic Facility, that. I don't know how that's going to look, but it, it, it brings some excitement to it. And, and the renderings, I think, at this point are positive. I think they, they make sense. Uh, and I think they have potential, obviously, as you said, to grow a little bit. Renderings always look good, though, right? <laughs> yeah. And so it, it's kind of easy. And you're right. The parking is going to be an issue, and, and that's going to be a work in progress. You know, what are the bathroom situations, concessions? You know, what, how is that stuff going to be worked out? Uh, and I think that remains to be seen. Uh, but potentially, you know, you, you kind of get into this like fantasy mode with this, right? Like just what the potential could be if they are able to stimulate greater student involvement and support. That would be pretty cool. And, and yeah, it's not going to have the traditional stadium vibe, right? Might be, you know, dare I say, leaning a little towards kind of more of a, of a high school football watching experience, at least initially. Uh, but if they are able to figure out some of these things and if the retrofit 
in this iteration and if they get the the zoning permits to be able to expand that to 15,000 for next year and say that goes so well that they start considering hey look maybe we can actually build this thing out to you know somewhere closer to 30,000 or 35,000 um, then all of a sudden you're, you're talking about the ability for the University of Hawaii to do its own thing and not be dependent on another state-run entity that is Aloha Stadium currently here before the demolition and whatever the new stadium, whenever that is built, that dynamic that has been so problematic in the past, uh, all of a sudden University of Hawaii uh, has autonomy. Like it has, it has the ability to control its own destiny when it comes to its facility, it can keep all of that revenue, doesn't have to worry about state entity to state entity types of communication. Uh, and I think that that would be kind of an amazing thing. Again, that is fantastical, uh, and I'm not sure how viable that idea or that way of thinking is, uh, but boy, wouldn't it be cool if after the state legislature and all these other powers that be let the University of Hawaii down in such a massive way and the sports fans of Hawaii down in such a massive way by not keeping up with the upkeep of the stadium and not planning ahead for a new stadium to be built the fact that they let the University of Hawaii down in that way, how great would it be if UH can then be like, you know what? We're good. We don't need the new stadium. We got our own thing going here in Manoa. That would be something else. <laughs> Speaking of Manoa, well, the UH baseball team is going to have some people at Les Murakami Stadium for the final home series against UC San Diego this weekend. Roughly around 300 estimated family members and friends are going to be there. It is senior weekend. Hawaii's going to be saying goodbye to a group of not just seniors, but also fifth-year juniors who have graduated or are on pace to graduate here either this spring or summer. Uh, UH is 23-19, and 15-17 and 17 in the Big West Conference with eight games on the schedule remaining. Now, lots can happen, but as it is projecting here, uh, how would you summarize this season for Hawaii baseball, Jordan? Um, I would say it's been a little disappointing. You know, it's a team that showed a lot of promise early on, obviously, in, in a team that was ranked, you know, 30th in the country. Uh, what was it, Collegiate Baseball or Baseball America? One of the publications had them at 30th overall in the country, and that's not their fault, right? They, they, they did what they did against a – a Division II non-conference schedule when they played a bunch of games against UH Hilo and HPU, obviously, and then had the season-opening series win against the Long Beach State team that has really sort of righted the ship a bit and is now third place in the conference. But for a Hawaii team that's what tied for sixth right now in the Big West Conference, has sort of been stuck here. And I know injuries have been a big part of it. Guys in the middle of that lineup have missed time kind of throughout the season. You know, they've kind of been picking different guys out of the lineup with Alex Baza has been the latest guy at first base to miss some time. You know, a lot of teams deal with that. A lot of teams have to weather, you know, injuries and unavailability and obviously in the COVID time and things of that nature. But yeah, it's just, they've, they've sort of been in this situation, right? And, and we've talked about this with, with men's basketball sort of being in the middle of the pack. How do you get over that hump into the upper echelon in the conference? We're seeing that here with the university of Hawaii where they have been very competitive they have been right there, uh, and they have actually kind of dug themselves out of holes multiple times throughout the Big West season and positioned themselves maybe to keep climbing and then get caught in reverse and, and slide back down the hill a little bit. So I think all in all, from a, from a health standpoint, from a performance standpoint, I think it's hard not to have a bitter taste in your mouth for this team. And, and, and even as you point out, you know, they got eight games left. They've got the last home series this week against San Diego. 
it's going to be um, an opportunity to, to end on a high note. But yeah, it's just, it's just another one of those years where you're like, man, you know, it, you feel like there should have been a little bit more on the bone come the end of the season. This wasn't necessarily the, the, the true culmination uh, type of season that they were hoping for with the, the veteran-laden roster that they had. And they're going to be saying goodbye to a lot of really good players, right? Uh, Dustin Demeter, Alex Beza, among the guys who are technically still juniors according to their eligibility statuses, but they are moving on uh, in their lives. And you would assume that you're going to also be saying goodbye potentially to Aaron Davenport, who is likely to be drafted their number one pitcher in the rotation. Cole Kaler is an interesting one uh, because, you know, he's had such a great season. There is some talk about uh, him getting some interest uh, in, in, in possibly being drafted. Even Cade Halimanu is a guy who is draft eligible and has really come on here this season. And so you're going to be saying goodbye to a lot of players as well. And I think they were hoping for a bigger payoff with this group that was together, at least in terms of the overall record. And, you know, and there is some slack that has to be cut because of the fact that this was still a COVID impacted year and the schedule was different and the Big West decided to go with these four game series with double headers, nine game double headers on Saturdays. Uh, and so it was, it was a test. It was a challenge. Uh, and I think certainly Mike Trapasso and company would have hoped for a little bit of a better outcome. And there were stretches where this Hawaii team was playing really good baseball, but they just couldn't keep it together on a more consistent level. I think what excites me though is what we saw in terms of the impact of the local influence of recruits and players, right? They had 18 players from Hawaii high schools on this year's roster. They are scheduled to bring in even more next year, including some pretty high profile prospects. Bronson Rivera of the Big Island is one of the local signees. He's a guy that might not make it to Manoa uh, because he's another guy that might get some draft love as well and might have a decision to make. But, you know, there seems to be much more of a focus and effort in bringing in some of this backyard talent and so I think they're on to something and while you would have liked to have seen a better finished product here in uh, 2021 I, I do think that there's they're they're coming to grips with certain realities that could bode well for this program uh, moving forward all right time now for the Domino's Hawaii main topping and we're going to do something a little bit different a little bit cool hopefully it's kind of enjoyable we're going to play a game called for real or for fake. This is a game that Jordan, you and I played many times on the radio show. This actually goes back to like the Leahy and Leahy radio show days. And please do not pay much attention to the grammatical issues involved with the name of the game, even as it pertains to Pigeon English. I don't know how accurate any of that is, but for real or for fake, that's the name of the game. And we're going to do that. And to help us embark on our first ever podcast edition of For Real or For Fake, uh, we welcome one of my buddies, one of our buddies, really, but a guy who I go all the way back to high school with, class of 95, Iolani. He is now the head coach for the OIA West Division winning Kapolei Hurricanes baseball team. Micah Banton is on with us. Micah B, what's up? What's up, guys? Thanks so much for having me on, man. I'm excited. Ready to roll. <laughs> For you've been ready to roll for a while with this baseball thing, but uh, yeah, and then that whole COVID thing kind of got in the way. But when you guys did start finally playing some ball here uh, in an abridged season for sure, but uh, Kapole with a fairly veteran laden, senior laden roster, uh, you guys put it together. You guys have uh, played some good baseball here this year. Yeah, it's really just been a blessing, man. I, you know, this time last year, I mean, the, what these kids had to go through, man, is, is just unbelievable. Losing their 
the their junior year and not being able to go to prom and you know the season just ending abruptly you know right before we're about to get started you know how it is you put in everything all you got all your effort you know they're buying into the program new coach um and then everything just came to a screeching hold and it was it was horrible it was tough for the kids but you know, that's where I really have to tip my cap to the guys because they, the guys behind me that you can see there, the 12 seniors, uh, led our program. And we worked out like there was no tomorrow, man. They worked out they through the whole thing. You know, they could have easily um, turned it in and said, you know, this is hard. We don't even know if we're going to play next year. But they battled. They worked. They hit balls. They we played you know we worked out in all kind of different fields in our little five guy pods and you know every everything we had to do um and they're getting rewarded for that effort and to me that's a very very beautiful thing um and I'm, i couldn't be more proud of, of the guys the team the family and our 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 staff our coaches i mean they've all done a phenomenal job yeah, for those uh, listening on the podcast, yeah, Micah, we're, we're talking via Zoom. Micah has the uh, team photo as his virtual background. Uh, what's interesting is this, this abridged season that was put together in the OIA. We also saw a version of that in the ILH as well. Uh, but it has culminated now in a sort of de facto, wink, wink, unsanctioned state tournament, or at least Oahu championship tournament. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so... Uh... I'm going to whisper this information because <laughs> wrong people might find out, but no, it's a, uh, basically American Legion is putting together a, a double elimination tournament for the top six teams on the Island. So we basically get to experience something that I think would, would have been just phenomenal for the kids as well. You know, the state tournament is always a beautiful thing. I've got to commentate and watch you know several of those state tournament games and it's just so fun for the kids and the fans um but yeah we get a little uh, six team double elimination tournament uh top two teams from oia west top two teams from oia east uh the ilh champs and old dunmore maru in uh, with mid-pack so uh yeah we're we fortunate enough to get the number two seed uh in the state so we are going to be uh, battling here shortly. Uh, tournament starts on Friday. Kalani Midpack at 4 o'clock. We play the winner of that game on Saturday. Oh, this is, this is awesome. This actually um, segues quite, quite nicely because I, I was going to ask you the, the very typical like sports talk radio question, the hypothetical, right? It's like, all right, I know you guys were good, Mike. I didn't actually get to see you play this year. I called a bunch of games in the ILH and a few in the OI. I got to see Mililani, who you guys kind of um, were right at the top with in the OI West. So I was going to ask you, okay, so, you know, hypothetically speaking, how well would you guys have done in a tournament? Uh, but apparently you guys are going to play this thing out. So that's, that's yeah. kind of, is it just one weekend? Like, what, what, where are you guys playing? Can you tell us? I mean, I know this is, you know, but it's American Legion. It's sanctioned. Like, this is. This yeah, isn't yeah, some yeah. like off the books thing, right? I mean, you get, you get oh. permits and all these kinds of things going. So I think, yes, I, yeah. think, I think everything's on the up and up. It is. Yeah. We, so we, they're calling it the uh, Oahu classic. Uh, Vern is putting it together. Vern Ramey. Um, he, uh, you know, got, got the guys together. And, you know, I think at first there was a, a bunch of roadblocks and hurdles and you got to love guys like that who are looking out for the kids and, I think you just want to see the kids play. You want to see the kids compete, you know, and 
the OIA, unfortunately, you know, didn't, they did put the season together, which we obviously appreciate and that the kids loved, uh, but just n- nothing with the postseason, you know, no tournament in the OIA. Um, the ILH did have their, you know, ILH championship tournament, which I think is phenomenal. Uh, so, you know, people in the community are looking out for the kids. They want to showcase their talent. And, um, you know, it's, it's going to be fun, man. It's going to be really cool because, like you said, we get the, the top six teams, you know, and we're, we're going to duke it out and you get to battle against these guys. I mean, some of these guys, are, I can't even believe we're in, we're in with these guys. You know, Mark uh, at Mililani, you know, is a phenomenal coach. Dunn was coaching when I was playing, <laughs> you know. He's, he's the classic guy, one of the guys that has forgotten more baseball than most people even know, you know what I mean? So it's the fact that I'm coaching – alongside some of these guys you know it, it to me is just a phenomenal thing man it's magical it, it warms my heart and it, it it really just makes the year when everybody's been so down and these bad things are happening like these great things are happening for for our kids at Kapolei and you know the baseball program there as well yeah, according to Pal Eldridge, Don Morimaro is like a fungo savant as well. Like he has just like these extraordinary fungal skills. Where are your fungal skills at, my friend? Uh, they are well <laughs> below Don's, I'll tell you that much. But, you know, I, I got some growing to do there. And that, that's what it's all about, man. You got to start somewhere. And, you know, fortunately for me, I'm starting, you know, in West Oahu in a, in a place that I have a, a nice home. and you know, with, with a senior class that is just taking everything that I've taken them, I've given them and, and run with it. You know, you, in high school, you know how it is. Some kids are just like, yeah, screw this guy. I don't want to listen to this guy. This is crazy. But these guys took it to heart, what I was saying. And uh, we have a great coaching staff, uh, Dirk Fujii, uh, brother Ben. I love Ben, Ben Young, Scotty took over for our buddy, our good buddy, Randon Ho, who unfortunately, he was our pitching coach, but unfortunately his father got ill, so he had to take care of his dad. Um, Gila, Zach, I mean, the guys, phenomenal coaching staff. And then, you know, our, our it starts from the top, really, our principal, Wes Shinkawa, and uh, our AD, Darren Camello, just professional guys who care about the community, care about the kids, and I think when you get a bunch of people like that that really care about the kids, you can make great things happen, man. And that that's what happened this year. To me, it's something that, you know, we should be shouting from the mountaintops. And I'm trying to get out there as often as I can to let people know just how how awesome these young men were are and, you know, how much they've learned and, and grown over the last couple of years. Yeah, not a bad uh, debut as a head coach either. You're kind of like Ty Lu, like you're just stepping in there and uh, you know winning divisions, and now you're playing in a uh, you know in in this uh, in this Oahu Championship tournament. Um, and then some of the guys who were standouts, right? Uh, one of the names that we were talking about before we started recording this, Jeremiah Lono, the shortstop. Uh, he was one of the guys we've seen putting up some really good offensive numbers. Uh, but give us a sense of of, of some of the the, the names that. Uh, uh, you think could fare pretty significantly in this upcoming tournament and, and maybe guys that, that maybe even have a chance at playing at the next level. Yeah. And that's, I mean, one thing as a coach, you got to have players, man, you know, it's just something you have to have. You cultivate talent as much as you want, but uh, you have to have some players and, and we do, man. And, and right off the top, Jeremiah Lono, I mean, 
every day I, I'm at practice, I just love watching the guy, man. You know, he reminds me of Mookie Betts. I told him, you know, you're my, my Hawaiian Mookie Betts, baby. And he, he does everything. He's fast. He's, he's a little lanky, you know, but he's got power. You see him and you're like, yeah, that guy's kind of slight. He's, you know, six feet tall. He's probably 170, you know, 175. But, man, he can swing it. You know, he can, he's got power. He's got speed. He's got an arm. He can run. Um, and really his stats, you know, prove it out. He's one of nine guys in the state that hit 500, you know, 10 runs, uh, third in the OIA, 11 RBIs, second in the OIA, uh, 10 hits, fourth in the OIA, tied for first in homers. Um, he does everything for our team. Um, and he is just a phenomenal player, man. He's going to, to me, he's, he's got a chance to play definitely play division one baseball and if not you know go pro but you can't have just hitting you know you, you got to tip tip your cap to the pitchers as well and we have two just absolute studs uh leo hao 2.86 era 18 strikeouts seven walks on the season um he's just been a rock for a strike thrower 75 percent strike guy you know first pitch strikes uh he goes eight pitch innings on a regular basis, nine pitch innings on a regular basis, pitches to contact, trusts it, trusts his defense. Uh, and then we have more of our, our bull, our, our uh, downhill pitcher, Josh Jakobin, led the OIA 3-0 record, 1.59 ERA with 17 Ks and nine walks. <laughs> so those two guys really held it down for us. And then uh, a couple other guys I'd like to mention, uh, Cade Fujii, our second baseman, the coach's son. Uh, he had a phenomenal season as well, 417, uh, 412 batting average. Um, and and the, the table setters up top, Aaron Young, our, our leadoff hitter, just little tiny guy. If you saw him, you'd be like, I can't believe that's your leadoff guy. He's 5'6", 135 pounds. But he flies, man. He flies and he gets the job done. Uh, and then Jake... Petrus had a phenomenal year as well, hitting in the two-hole. Uh, he's a left-handed center fielder. Uh, he does a great job. And, and last but not least, Bula White. Uh, I, I kept trying to get his name out there, man. I was like, how is nobody, nobody recruiting this kid? He's six foot three. He's built like an ox. He looks like a Hawaiian Adonis. And nobody's recruiting this guy. He can swing it left-handed. And he throws almost 90 miles an hour. I'm like, hey, where are, where are all these coaches at? And, they, you know, as the season went on, obviously, they started coming out of the woodworks because they saw what he could do, man. And uh, all of these guys, just great attitude, great character, go hard in practice, work really hard, um, you know, listen to the coaching staff. And that's why we are where we are. Uh, all right. You ready to play a little for real or for fake? Let's do it. All right, so uh, I'm just going to throw out a topic. This is sort of for all of us to chime in, but, Mike, obviously you got, uh, you're batting leadoff. The no-hitter in Major League Baseball is no longer a big deal. Now, a little background, Yankees Corey Kluber threw the sixth no-hitter this season in Major League Baseball against the Rangers. Uh, Rangers, Indians, and Mariners, by the way, have each been no-hit twice this year. Uh, and that total of six no-hitters does not include Madison Bumgarner's seven-inning no hitter, uh, which Major League Baseball said because it was a seven inning game, even though it was scheduled that way, it does not count. So for real or for fake, the no hitter in Major League Baseball is no longer a big deal. I'm going with for fake, Kanoa. That's that is not true. Uh, no hitter to me is a no hitter no matter what era you're in. 
um, it's hard to do, man. It's hard to get guys out in general, and especially when you get to that level. I mean, there are guys who have been hitting for 20, 25 years and are paid to do exactly that. Uh, the one thing I do not like is nobody's willing to put down a bunt when you got a no-hitter going. You know what I mean? Like, it, in my day, if you had a no-hitter going, you throw the bat at it, you do a you know, slash, you you lay one down the line, you know what I mean? You do whatever you got to do to break up that no-no. And they don't do that in the major leagues, I'll tell you that. Yeah, that's interesting. Some of those unwritten rules, we'll, we'll get to one of them here uh, in, in just a moment. But, uh, yeah, that, that, that's interesting because I'm sort of in your camp. Like, I don't want to get no-hit. I'm going to do whatever I can to prevent that pitcher from making history. Uh, against my team now that said because we're accumulating so many no hitters what six this season that's already too shy of the all-time record which was back in 1884 and so major league baseball is on pace to obliterate that possibly we had two no hitters in the span of less than 24 hours here this week uh so what about you jordan for real or for fake the no hitter is no longer a big deal i'm gonna say for fake as well i'm with mike on this one um i still think it's a big deal because if you get, like, the notification on your phone that so-and-so's got a no-hitter through eight innings and you're watching some other channel, like, you're still going to flip over to, like, MLB Network and you're still going to watch that last inning because there is still drama built in. If, you know, you got the streaming service on your phone or something like that, you're like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll tune in for the ninth, right? There is some drama involved. Uh, and I think it's good from that standpoint because a lot of people will tune in for the ninth inning of a game that's got something on the line in terms of a no-hitter as opposed to, you know, not watching it at all. Like the random, what was that, the the Tigers and, and Mariners game the other night where Trumbull throws that no-hitter. Like nobody's paying attention to that game except until the ninth inning when it's like, oh, this guy's got a no-no going. Uh, so I still think it's a big deal. It is becoming more and more watered down as we go throughout, don't get me wrong, <laughs> and I think is maybe a symptom of a larger problem for baseball yep. as a whole. But in the moment, on a given date – I still think it's a big deal. Like, if you, if you get the notice, you're, you're, you're tuning in, right? Your, your eyeballs are going to come to the screen because, yeah, you want to see a little piece of history. Yeah, it's directly attributed to just the overall sort of lack of general offensive production across Major League Baseball. Like, I think the average across the league hitting this year is like 224. The Mariners as a team, I think, just coming into today, they were hitting under 200 as a squad. So it's just, you know, this feast or famine mentality of, you know, you're going to give up strikeouts because you're swinging for the fences. Uh, and I think that it's created a greater potential for pitchers who are on their game on any given night to deliver a no-hitter. We're seeing that. So uh, I will also say for fake because I don't want to totally just uh, roll the bus over the idea of a no-hitter not being a big deal. But it is starting to get a little bit less profound of an accomplishment as we move forward. All right, we move over to one of those unwritten rules. Uh, so Tony LaRussa. All right. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw this this week, but he actually publicly criticized a member of his own team. Right. He's managing the Chicago White Sox, an extremely exciting team. One of the best teams in baseball, maybe the best actually this year. Uh, but he criticized your mean Mercedes for hitting a home run on a 3-0 count late in a blowout win for the White Sox against the Twins. On the mound for Minnesota was a catcher. And they've done this now a couple of times. Williams Astudio. Uh, who throws about 45 miles an hour and just kind of tosses, slow tosses it over the plate. Uh, I think the score in the game at the time was 15 to four in the ninth. Uh, Mercedes is said to have broken an unwritten rule in baseball. We saw Fernando Tatis Jr. take some heat for a similar situation, uh, hitting a home run last year. Uh, so for real or for fake Micah, 
Tony La Russa is right when he criticizes your mean Mercedes. Oh, I'm going 100% for fake on that <laughs> one. 100% for fake. It, it's game on, baby. You, whoever you put up there, I am going to hit. You know, as a, as a player, first of all, there's no way to, to turn off 100% button for me. You know what I mean? So if I'm in, in, the, in the box and a guy throws me a lollipop, I'm ripping that bad boy out of the park just like he did, and I might strike a pose doing it. You know what I mean? So for me as a player, for sure, I'm, I'm hitting that. Now, you know, I think the question comes in, you know, do you just hustle around the bases, and what did you actually do during that, you know, <laughs> that time? But, yeah, some of those unwritten rules, man, especially in the major leagues, I don't, I don't like. Uh, some of them are, are for good reason. You know, you don't throw at somebody's head, and uh, you, don't, you don't try to show up an umpire. You don't try to show up another team. Uh, but you put a guy on the mound, and my guy hits it out, uh, that's, that's part of the game. Yeah, I mean, you already put a position player on the mound, so it's not like you're trying to uphold some unwritten rule that you have to treat the game with respect when the other team is putting a catcher out on the mound, almost as like a, a joke. Uh, yeah, I think Tony Russo got a lot of this wrong because you talked about throwing at players. The next night, the Twins actually threw behind Mercedes, and after the game, Larusa defended that maneuver by the Twins. He actually said, yeah, I don't have a problem with it. Like, Tony Larusa, one of his players is getting thrown at, basically, and he is still uh, publicly criticizing him and actually taking the side of the other team. This is a young Chicago White Sox squad that has all kinds of exciting players, and yeah, there's a bit of a bat-tossing mentality about them. There's a little more bluster, right? That's kind of the newer generation, especially with the influx of some of these international players. And you put the former retired, already in the Hall of Fame, stodgiest manager in a position to try to lead these guys. Uh, it is just crazy. It is for fake 100%. LaRusso was wrong on so many accounts in this one, I think. What about you, George? Yeah, it's, it's all for fake, right? The only defensible argument to me is that he was trying to make a statement, you know, hey, Mercedes, he got it all wrong in order to protect him, right? It's like, okay, the Twins are going to say, okay, yeah, LaRusso handled it in-house. He made it public as well. And so we don't have to throw at the guy the next game, right? Because some some Neanderthal is going to be on the other side the next day. And they, they, they threw at him anyway. So they threw at him anyway. So it didn't work. And the other thing, the other thing, it's baseball, right? You throw it out there. You guys have put that all. And, Micah, you can tell us this better than anybody. How hard is it to turn around a 45-mile-an-hour slow pitch a 400-something feet? What did, what did he hit that thing? For? He hit it over center field. So it was oh, yeah. something. It was like so a like 109 exit velocity. Yeah, on a 46-mile-an-hour pitch. That is the physics not, of that is pretty darn impressive. It's not an easy thing to do, man. People act like that is just no problem. Hey, he's got a wood bat as well. It's not like he's <laughs> yeah. sporting a minus five aluminum bat, you know, or minus three what the high school kids use. He's got some lumber in his hands, and that thing is coming in slow, you know, so he had to generate all that power. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Yeah, no, that was a crush, an absolute bomb, that's for sure. All right, moving on. I know Michael B., he has a soft spot in his heart for the game of hoops. You've always been a basketball player, I think, at your core, even though you've been a baseball player and coach for so many years. So uh, I'm going to ask you this. This is pretty straight up. We saw the matchup, Steph and LeBron. Steph went for 37 in the play-in uh, last night. 
and was just magnificent as he has been all season long, as he has been for so many years. Already a two-time MVP. Some people are suggesting that he should get his third here this year. For real or for fake, Steph Curry is the best player in the NBA right now. Oh, it's uh, taking some time here. <laughs> for real or for fake? Gonna, <laughs> Those are the I'm two options, go, yes. I'm going to go for fake, man. Uh, you know, if you told me best shooter in the NBA, I would say for real. Every day of the week, uh, best player in the NBA. I just think there's so many guys who can are multifaceted. You know, to me, he he has mastered the art of, of one particular skill in the NBA. Um, and but to me, a guy like Kawhi Leonard, you know, a guy that can do just multiple things. You know, a guy like Antetokounmpo. A guy that's just so diverse in his skill, or a guy like LeBron James, you know, that can just command uh, the offense and run, you know, everything through it while playing defense, while orchestrating everything. You know, I think there are guys that um, just uh, impact the game uh, in a much different way, you know, on the defensive side, especially. And, you know, Steph Curry is not a terrible defensive player. Uh, but in my opinion, he's also not one of the best defensive players in the league. So uh, I'm going to go with four fake on that one. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think I go for real here. Uh, but I love everything that you said, everything about, you know, what Giannis and what LeBron and what all these other guys bring to the table. Uh, but I think if you are considering Steph Curry as the MVP, the most valuable player, then you're certainly thinking that he might be the most outstanding player here this season, the guy that's maybe having the best year. And to me, by definition, that almost means that you have to give him the nod as being the best player right now in the NBA. And it doesn't have to be a hard rule. If you say Steph Curry is the best player right now, it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be next season. But right now, I think it is Steph Curry. Like, he's otherworldly. Like, this guy's an alien. Like, you're not supposed to be able to shoot the basketball in the ways that he does, whether he's moving right to left, off the dribble, even finishing around the rim nowadays. Like, it's insane watching this guy. And I think Kendrick Perkins put it the best when he said, hey, look, whether or not he's your MVP, he is probably the toughest guard right now. Talking about from the defensive perspective, the toughest guy to guard in the league. Uh, and that's scary, man. So I actually go for real. What about you, Jordan? Uh, you are the uh, deciding vote here. Yeah, I'm going for fake. Steph has been incredible, right? And, and what he's doing with, with that roster, when teams are basically just double teaming him the whole time, right? We saw, especially in the second half yesterday, Wednesday, against the Lakers, and, and teams are, are scheming up everything his way, right? And he still can get a shot off. His ball handling is ridiculous. Um, and, and he is so impact. Offensively, you could argue, I think. There are guys who do it on both ends of the court, as Michael pointed out, and a guy like Kawhi Leonard, a guy like Joel Embiid, uh, who I think will probably finish top two in the MVP vote. But I'm going to go with, because I'm going for fake, I'm going to throw out the name nobody wants to talk about. Shouts to Pakalani Bello. It's the Joker. Nikolai Jokic, the guy's going to win the MVP. He is going to win. Yeah. Like a seven-foot Magic Johnson, the mm -hmm. way he plays with the basketball in his hands. Not nearly as athletic, don't get me wrong. But he, he almost led the league in assists at like seven feet tall. And he's not doing it like Wilt Chamberlain style, where he's like force-feeding dudes. Like He's amazing. What he can do offensively is every bit as impressive as like what LeBron does at his peak in terms of distributing while also being able to score while also rebounding. And you can make the argument, right, maybe on the defensive end it slips a little bit 
for the Joker. But I think, man, it, and you saw it when Jamal Murray went out. What were they, like 9-5 and five or 9-4 and four or something? I, I, I think I'm underselling him a little bit. Uh, I am just a big Jokic fan. And maybe it's because he's big, white, and slow. Um, and I can really relate to his athleticism. Yeah, he's 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 pretty phenomenal. Uh, there's no denying that. Uh, how's us, too? Like, we were so spoiled. Russell Westbrook averaged a triple-double again. And we're like, meh. I don't think we're going to even talk about him. That's some crazy stuff. Uh, Micah, we thank you so much, man, for jumping on board with us. And it was great talking with you. Congratulations on a fantastic season and, and having to overcome all of those obstacles as all of the players and coaches across the board did here this year. And good luck this weekend, man. Hey, thank you guys so much, man. I appreciate it. It's been a blast as usual. Can't wait to come on. I'm excited. I wanted to hear what Jordan thought about his pick, man, about Justin Fields and, and the QB. I never got to hear about that. Yeah, you know, if I don't know if it's an MVP type of season we're looking at, but at least rookie of the year is what I'm thinking. <laughs> I mean, how is he going to beat out Andy Dalton, guys? I mean, come on. Oh, that's awesome, man. Well, I was happy for you when I saw the draft, man. Hey, I, thanks, man. I, I'm excited. I'm excited for the Bears. It, it's, some, it's some needed excitement at quarterback, right? Yes. The Bears haven't had that in a few years now. It's just been a whole lot of Trubisky lament and then Andy Dalton signing. It's like, what are we doing? Uh, and so for the Bears to go out and, and – Spend the high draft pick on a guy that, that I think a lot of people are excited about. I'm in. I'm in. Boring. All right. Time to end this segment. Uh, this is getting out of hand here. Nobody wants to talk about the Bears. Let's talk about the Detroit Lions and uh, their weird head coach who wants actual Lions to be at practice. Anyway, Mike, uh, best of luck this weekend, man. Love you, bro. And uh, take care. Right on. Thanks, guys. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Mike. All right, big thanks once again to Micah B for joining us. That was a lot of fun. Time now to wrap things up as we usually do with our post game. Best and Worst brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii, Maui's premier full-service refuse company offering various sizes of dumpsters and roll-off containers for commercial, construction, and residential use. Family-owned and operated with over 40 years of service to the Maui community, Waste Pro Hawaii is committed to customer service and responsible waste management. Visit WasteProHawaii.com for services, information. All right, what is your best, Jordan Helley? Yeah, my best, um, I'll go two for one here. Uh, the, the Broncos, they just announced some scouting hires. That's the Denver Broncos. Uh, one, they hired uh, Kelly Klein from the Minnesota Vikings front office, and she's going to be their executive director of football operations and a special advisor to the general manager, making her the highest-ranked highest ranking woman in football operations at an NFL club. Um, and folks are talking about her likely being the first female general manager uh, of an NFL team. Like she is that highly regarded in the scouting realm. Uh, but on top of that, the Broncos also kind of buried down in the press release um, also hired Saywan Joe as their Western national scout. And Saywan actually is the guy who recruited me to Occidental college when he was an assistant coach, he was coaching outside linebackers for Occidental College, a Division Three school. And this is like less than 15 years ago. He's been a scout in the – a regional scout in the, the Falcons organization for the last eight years. Uh, he's a Korean-American, uh, and he is a guy who is working his way up the front office ladder and is now uh, the Western National Scout for the Denver Broncos. So a uh, big shout-out to Saewon. He's one of the main reasons I went to Occidental. Uh, we used to get L&L lunch every Fridays. Uh, mm -hmm. He and the Hawaii guys, he was in charge of recruiting – Hawaii is part of his footprint. Uh, so uh, pretty awesome stuff. A guy who was coaching 3-3 football not too long ago is now uh, pretty up there in an NFL front office. Tickets. 
Tickets. You got to get the hookups, baby. Um, yeah, find out when they're playing the Raiders. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully Marcus is starting. Uh, I might be hitting you up too, by the way. Just uh, be ready. All right. My best, uh, Stanford University, uh, reversing its decision to cut certain sports. They announced that last year. They basically used COVID as the justification for doing so. Uh, and one of the programs that was scheduled to be cut was their very uh, – decorated men's volleyball program. And, you know, we have a lot of connections there. They won a national championship with the Shoji brothers, Kavika and Eric. Also, Spencer McLaughlin was a member of that Stanford team. Brad Lawson out of Iolani was on that Stanford team. And so uh, a lot of Hawaii-born players have played for Stanford over the years. And so it was a bummer of a story when it came out and seemed kind of weird because uh, the endowment that Stanford has is so deep. Uh, and so it was a bit of a head scratcher. And uh, as it turns out, they've decided to reverse that decision. And so Cardinal volleyball on the men's side lives on. So that is my best. Now oh, that is terrific. Can we get them? Uh, can we get a little home and home going? University of Hawaii, get them back on the schedule, right? I mean, nobody was scheduling them because they all thought they were going to not have a program. But uh, now that it's there, let's yeah, get some games in Palo Alto, get the Cardinal down here, like old times. I know. I actually wonder how much some of the other coaches, Charlie Wade included, in college volleyball uh, are a little bit, I don't want to say bummed about the decision, but it changes their plans a little bit because I bet you the vultures were swarming and they're like, all right, let's coach some Stanford volleyball players. If they're going to shut down the program, we got spots for you. Uh, that changes some of that. So we'll see if there's any impact there. Uh, all right, what's your worst? My worst in all of this, I don't know if you saw this, but Kenny Maine, longtime Sports Center anchor, tweeted out, I think it was last week, uh, but didn't get a chance to get to this last week, that he is a salary cap casualty, I think is how he framed it. But he is out at ESPN, like the end of this month or next month or something like that. And he's one of the, I mean, he wasn't there from the beginning, beginning, but he's been there a long, long time. And he's always been one of my favorites. Like I resonate with his very, very dry brand of humor. And he is always so witty. And one of the guys that is just, he's not anything controversial, right? He isn't anything that is going to lead to like a, a hot take clip showing up on your Twitter feed or anything like that. They had that Main Street little segment mm -hmm. show that he had, which is like almost made for ESPN Plus now. But they, it used to just be on the website and, and he'd go around the country. And the, the one with Marshawn Lynch when Marshawn was a rookie in Buffalo was one of the greatest things ever. Uh, he's a Seattle guy, so he's got an affinity for Seattle sports. I spent a lot of time in the Emerald City, so I kind of relate a little bit there. He's always been one of my favorite anchors on SportsCenter. But I don't know, man. They, just, they keep phasing on all my favorites at ESPN, and it's, I was pretty bummed when I, when I read that. Yeah, it's like they can pay Stephen A. a bajillion dollars, <laughs> but they can't pay Kenny Maine? Come on. Yeah. From what I have read in some of the reports, I think Kenny Maine himself saying that they wanted him to take a 61% pay cut. <laughs> so it's like they offered him a contract but it was one of those and these are sort of his words uh where i don't think they really wanted him to accept so they made it an offer that he very well could refuse uh and so he did and that's why he's moving on you're right he's just a really funny witty guy like when he would say you know it's homer number 17 for him not in this game that would be a record like i just love the yeah. very dry straight lace straight face delivery uh, it's it's going to be missed. And uh, I think, you know, there have been some decisions personnel-wise that ESPN has made uh, because they're putting so much money into a select few individuals in their talent positions and then so much money in obtaining broadcast rights uh, that you're just going to have to trim some of the fat off. And unfortunately, some really, really high-quality people are part of that trimming. All right, my worst, 
Dan Campbell, head coach for my Detroit Lions. Uh, in an interview with Pardon My Take, he said that he would love to have a real lion present at Detroit's facilities during training camp. Uh, he actually told the podcast that he reached out to Lions ownership to see if that was a possibility. And he went so far as to say, I would love to have a lion as a pet. And he said, I'd have him on a big chain and I'd walk around with him and it would be great. And you think, oh, that's hilarious. This guy's a jokester. He was serious, man. I mean, this is the same guy who talked at length at his introductory press conference about his team uh, getting knocked down and getting up and biting kneecaps and biting ankles. And he's just kind of a, a weird dude. He's like a, a steroid pill with legs. Like he's just, he's, he's, he's crazy, man. And also reports coming out. This is another uh, bad look for my Detroit Lions. Iowa State head coach Matt Campbell was offered an eight-year, $68 million contract to coach the Lions. And guess what? He turned it down. $68 million. And even Matt Campbell, a college football coach, is like, I don't want to work there. Do you think somebody, like, answering the phones in Detroit was like, no, Campbell's accepting the job. He's going to take it. He's like, oh, great. Matt Campbell's on his way. We got our guy. No, no, no. Dan Campbell. Oh, I thought you said Dan Campbell. And maybe they like sent the letter to the wrong Campbell. Maybe it was just a mix up. And now they're going to have like lions and all over the place. It's going to be like a zoo at the training camp. Uh, mm -hmm. Good luck. Good luck to those lions. Uh, try not to get your kneecap bitten by the actual lion. All right. That's it for our best and worst brought to you by Waze Pro Hawaii. Maui owned, Maui operated for Maui's people. Big thanks again to Michael B for jumping on. Hit us up on Twitter at Kanoa Leahy, at Jordan Helly, or at TalkSports808. Jordan, talk to you again soon, bro. Take care, man.